MaxScholarsPublishing.com That uh, we should get our own. Once we have our own, uh, we're respected for the fact that we can create our own. And uh, that's equality right there. Start a record label, Miss Fish just did it. Whoa. Nylon, cover five minutes. Whoa, we are too hot in the business. Whoa, about to make a movie independent. Welcome back to the Black Scholars Podcast. I am your host, Leonard Andre Wilson Jr. It is a pleasure to be back with you guys for episode 41. On episode 41, we are going to analyze episode 7 of the America to Me docu-series, which is available on Stars. That is how I uh, enjoy it and watch it over and over again and glean different lessons from it. And I bring my analysis to you guys, my fellow scholars. Now, you can also watch it for free, and you have to follow the notes uh, listed in the show notes And that will tell you how you can watch it for free uh, through the participant. uh, I forgot what it's called. Participant to me, America. I I don't know. Look at the notes. (laughs) The information is in the notes. But uh, we are going to get into my analysis for episode 7. Again, this is uh, episode 41. Uh, Thank you guys for your support. Thank you for continuing to listen Thank you for introducing this podcast to your friends and colleagues who are educators and looking for good educational podcasts with a twist. Um, And if anybody ever wondered, I listen to other podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, I've been listening to podcasts actively since 2005, 2006. Um, The number one podcast I used to listen to all the time was the Dave Ramsey podcast which I am still subscribed to. I still listen to, not as frequently as I should, but I still listen to it. Um, But that's kind of how the show started. I was listening to uh, educational podcasts, especially when I got in education uh, in 2008, 2009. And that's when I discovered that, hey, there's not too many African-American-centered educational podcasts. And if there were, most of them weren't active. They weren't publishing new content. Um, and so I seen a void in the industry. I seen a void in the market. I seen, uh, I noticed a need that needed to be filled in K through twelve education. And um, I'm glad that I can be a part of that. Of course, I'm not the end all be all. There's a lot of great shows, a lot of great podcasts out there. And I've never been a hater, so I always encourage. Uh, you to listen to as many, you know, podcasts that, you know, inspire you or give you knowledge or or challenge your way of thinking. I mean, podcasts is a growing industry and we see there's a lot of big dollars involved in it, um, but it hasn't reached its prime yet. It hasn't reached its apex yet. 
Um, so I'm grateful that I could be a part of this movement. I'm grateful that you guys are a part of this movement. I'm talking too much. Let's get into episode 41. They're not used to identifying themselves as white uh, and what they bring to a discussion. It's just like he did have a bit of a... I don't participate verbally as much. I don't really like people who just talk to talk. Even when he was at the original plantation, like, yes, he did have it hard, but it seemed like his wasn't as hard as some others were. Cause I think white people just feel more comfortable, I guess, taking up the space than everyone else. from how her husband treats her. I have a, like, really big fear of being wrong, like, in front of people that I don't trust. Shanti said... On this episode, episode 7, titled Tsunami of Privilege, that she guesses white people feel more comfortable taking up the space. That's powerful. And if you think about it, As an educator, whether you're in a PLC, a faculty meeting, uh, a town hall meeting, a school board meeting, most of the time, those that speak at length, especially if there's no norms and guidelines to make sure you stay within a certain time period of speaking and they can literally take over that meeting. And what's disheartening about that is that for many of us who add to the diversity, who are black and brown, we have a lot to contribute as well. In the beginning of my career, I didn't say much. I just sat back and listened. Sometimes I sat back and I stopped listening intentionally because I'd wanted to say something or one of my black and brown colleagues wanted to say something. And it was like the meeting was being dominated by a white person. And the meeting shouldn't be dominated by anybody, black, white, or brown, or anybody else. But I can relate to Shanti's statement and think about how that must feel for our kids. Again, I work in the affluent area. We're at about 13% African-American students. Many of these classes, these black and brown students are walking into are predominantly white, especially if they're an AP or honors course or dual enrollment. They're not comfortable speaking. One, they're outnumbered. Two, they don't even get the opportunity. They don't get the chance. So it's important for us as educators to make sure we're providing an opportunity, opportunities, and outlets for students' voice and voices to be heard continuously. Continuously. 
I don't care if you have to, on the side of your lesson plan, or if you give yourself a daily reminder, or however you organize your instruction, whether you keep an agenda planner, uh, planner, whatever it is, you've got to find a way to make sure students get voices and every opportunity possible. And as we're dealing with this whole COVID situation, and whether you're doing hybrid or 100% uh, virtual remote learning, you've got to find a way to figure that out. How can each student get the opportunity to have the floor? And that's one of the things in teaching I've always made sure my students know as a procedure. You always track the speaker. The speaker is not always me. It's not always Mr. Wilson. It's whoever has the floor. And we're going to all be respectful, including myself. So if I have one of my students speaking, I'm not checking my emails. I'm not looking at my cell phone. I'm not text messaging someone real quick. I give them my full attention. And if I break that rule, I bring it up to my students. I said, you know what? I apologize. I was checking my email real quick. I heard a notification go off. I shouldn't have done that. And I even have my students call out other students for not being respectful. You know, I'm in Tennessee. I can't speak for what everyone uses as far as the rubric for your observations, how you're judged, evaluated. But in Tennessee, we use the team model. And in the team model, the culture of that classroom is vital. And students being comfortable using accountable talk and students being comfortable giving fearless feedback and receiving fearless feedback And students, most importantly, being respectful to each other, to their teacher, to all stakeholders and visitors that walk in that classroom. That's important. And I don't care how young you look, how young you actually are, how big you are, how small you are, how tall you are, how short you are, whatever your temperament is, do not care. You are the instructional leader of that classroom, or if you're in leadership, You are the instructional leader of that school. Don't let these kids walk all over you. But it is important, again, to Shanti's point, we should be comfortable speaking. But she said they're comfortable taking up space. We're not just talking to talk. We're not just talking for fluff. Make sure everything that you contribute and, you know, as an educator, Encourage that, recommend that, teach that to your students. Everything we say is black and brown is potent, it's powerful, it's important, it's essential. When I open my mouth, people listen. Why? Because I don't over-talk, I don't over-speak. And if I am talking ad nauseum, that means I've got that much knowledge to share. But I'm still going to filter myself. And if you want to discuss more, if you want to share resources, we could do that later. We could do that after the meeting. I started this podcast in the summer of 2018, and although much in my life has changed since that summer, the one thing that's been very consistent is the love and support I get from this podcast, from this community around this podcast, which is for scholars and educators. And as scholars and educators, we have been taught and trained 
how to look at information that's been gathered in the past and how to use it to influence our future. Similarly, I want to bring more to the table. I want to bring more to the culture. I want this podcast to be bigger than the podcast. And in order to make that happen, I've got to sell you some stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm selling you the Black Scholars clothing. Black Scholars clothing, hoodies, sweaters, t-shirts, tank tops, hats, masks. We got them all. Please go to blackscholarsclothing.com, blackscholarsclothing.com. Use the promo code SCHOLARS, take 15% off, get fresh, and thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. I love you. When we lost our home in Oak Park, to not know where we were going, that, that's, that was pretty hard. As a parent, you're supposed to protect your children and keep a roof over their head. And so when I didn't have that, that became a little bit of a depression. My best friend took us in so we aren't on the streets. He shot it. For him, it's been an emotional roller coaster. He doesn't communicate too much anymore. He's 16. You don't want to be embarrassed to say, I'm homeless. You want to keep an image that everything is okay. getting into it with Ms. Colvin, which I know is crazy because they have such a great relationship and that's just anger in him. So the other thing that we discover on this show is that Keyshawn and his family actually did lose that house. And I believe that house um, belonged to his grandmother, if I'm not mistaken. And his mother nailed it right on right on the head when she said Keyshawn is on an emotional roller coaster and through most of this docu-series we have seen Keyshawn literally up and down just like a roller coaster where one moment you know he's got his hair cut He's got on a nice outfit. You know, he's doing this class social commentary comedy thing. And, you know, he's participating when he's asked the question. Usually he's correct. And he's going, you know, kind of back and forth in a playful way with Mrs. Stovall or, you know, another teacher. And so that's the likable side of Keyshawn. And kids like Keyshawn. But then other times he's, you know, kind of moody. 
doesn't appear interested and engaged in the lesson. It could be because how Mrs. Stovall teaches her course and the culture she's built up is dependent on a lot of uh, revealing and reflection and open dialogue and discourse. And you've got to be in the mood for that. And so Keyshawn, like a lot of our kids, if they're dealing with something at home, in which case he's dealing with technically being homeless. His mom said one of her friends that lives in the area decided to take them in. But they, you know, so they do have a roof over their head, but technically they were evicted. So technically he's homeless. That's not a permanent home. Keyshawn is technically homeless. He's a 16-year-old. And so I felt when his mom said, as a parent, you feel bad because your goal, your responsibility is to protect your kids and to make sure that they have the things that they need. They have to have a roof over their head. They have to have food in their mouths. They have to have clean clothes on their back. They have to have the ability to wash and clean themselves, to brush their teeth. Like this is what we grow up on around the world, specifically in America. You know, you know the American dream. You have a a husband, you have a wife, you have a dog, maybe a cat, maybe a dog and a cat. You have a 2.5 garage. You know, you have two kids, boy and a girl, a white picket fence, a nice size house, good front yard, a flower bed, nice backyard. You play catch every Sunday. You go to church. You visit family. You volunteer. You donate. You pay your taxes. That's the American dream. And we don't know Keyshawn's mother's situation economically fully. We don't know after she finished high school if she got any more training. We don't know what jobs she's held. We don't know what contribution Keyshawn's dad financially plays a part in. We don't know any of this. And... It's not my goal to judge her. That's not what we're doing. We're not trying to judge her. If anything, I'm empathizing with her. I have to. We have to. We're empathizing with these kids. You know, if we could take one major lesson, one one major theme away from America to me thus far, I think we would all clearly say that things aren't equal, things aren't fair, things aren't right, and we need a lot of changes. I've said it before, I'll continue to repeat myself. Schools are supposed to provide comprehensive services, they are a part of the community. As a part of the community, 
when a member of the community is in need, schools are supposed to provide. Very similar to how most churches, especially in the black community, will step in and provide for their congregation. If the first lady of the church is having an issue with her lights staying on or she can't pay rent and she's two months behind and she's at risk of getting evicted, once the church finds out, they step in. But what parent would ever reach out to a school and say something about residency? And we see this in this episode as well, where Gabe, who's on the wrestling team and also on Spoken Word, and this is really our first time talking about Gabe. Gabe is uh, a very, very intelligent, astute student, scholar, very small. He's very short in height, but what he lacks in height, he makes for he makes up for in his, his intellect and his heart. And, you know, his coach, his, his wrestling coach was joking and saying, hey, it's like, you know, Oak Park, they must have former FBI. I mean, I hope he was joking. They must have former FBI agents working for them or something. You know, it happened to Keyshawn as well, where these agents will just, you know, just pop up to make sure that you do live in the zip code you're supposed to live in in order to attend this uh, privileged school. It's not fair. It's like, what do you want parents to do if parents can't afford private school And so they're dependent on the public schools. And we know all public schools aren't created equally. We know that there is a major concern with equity, where at certain schools they have the best resources. And a part of those resources is human capital. They have better principals. They have better classroom teachers, better guidance school counselors. They go on better trips. They get better food. It's 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 an equal. It totally is. So I will never criticize or critique a parent for doing what's best for their kids. Now I know, I know what someone on the right politically would say. I know what a capitalist would say. If you want better for your kids, if you want better for your family, then you have to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. They would say Keyshawn's mom, she's got to go to night school. She's got to go back to school. She's got to start a career or further her career. She's got to save money. She's got to invest. She's got to hustle and grind and work 15 different jobs. That's what they would say. But is that realistic? Sometimes we make life decisions and life choices 
that put us so far in the hole that it's, I never want to say anything's impossible, but it's so arduous. It's so difficult, especially when you have other people depending on you. She's got multiple kids. It's not just Keyshawn. It's not just Keyshawn. So Keyshawn is dealing with a lot. It's directly impacting him. It's negatively influencing him. He's moody. He's up. He's down. He's technically homeless. And whether you know it or not, you're listening to this podcast You've had a student that was technically homeless and you didn't even know. You probably noticed something changed in their behavior, but everybody has bad days. We have bad days. So you got to dig deeper. You got to build that rapport. And if you discover a kid is technically homeless, we're not trying to get them in trouble, but we do want to help. Hopefully your school has a system intact between social workers, school psychologists, guidance counselors, especially if you're at a Title I school or a Title I-A school where there's some funding, there's some resources available. We need more in these districts, in these schools, so we could provide for our community. Capitalism works because you have those at the bottom doing the entry-level work, which is necessary for those at the top to reap big profits. And if it's an IPO, if it's a publicly traded organization, then their investors reap the benefits as well. We need to be teaching economics K through 12. And I'm serious about that. One year, uh, not one year olds, but first graders, second graders, third graders. They need to be learning about the economy, just basics. And we just build on that knowledge. We just we just scaffold that knowledge and just keep building on it. We keep building on that schema. But I feel for Kishan. I couldn't imagine being a 16-year-old in high school and we get evicted and we already have a, a big family. We're being raised by a single woman. We haven't seen Keyshawn's dad in this documentary whatsoever. So, unfortunately, it's safe to assume dad's not in the picture. And that's a whole nother discussion that needs to be had. Just not on this podcast. At least not now. What can I say? Mamba out. Thank you for listening to the Black Scholars Podcast. For more information, go to blackscholarspublishing.com. You just gotta. Go! You will never know what you could ever be. If you never try, you will never see. Stayed in Africa, we ain't never leave. So it was no slaves in our history When no slave ships, when no misery Call me crazy, or isn't he? See, I fell asleep
dream. 